Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. from the faithful Jack and the Beanstalk. And I'm here to say I'm a bruiser. And I'm so excited. Why am I here, do you ask? You'll see. And I'm Professor Oak. Congratulations. Way to go. These pictures of Pokemon are fantastic. Although, uh, this one is not quite centered, so you're not going to get the points. I know it looks like it's centered, and you have it centered, <laughs> and I said that a different photo that you took was completely centered, and it wasn't centered, and uh, the size is wrong. You fucked up the size, even though you got as close to this Pokemon as you possibly could. It's so, so sized. Ooh, but this one's making a frowny face. Ten million points. <laughs> oh, my God. Wizard Jake. Wizard J. I was wondering if you were going to say you were a wizard or not. Yo, welcome to our Pokemon Snap episode. What an interesting one. I'm so glad that we found this this topic or, or that we decided to do this topic really just because the uh, new Pokemon Snap's dropping on Switch. I mean, we're just, you know what? We like to ride hot hype trains. Hype trains are a lot of fun to ride. There's always a bunch of different carts in them. There's a party cart. There's a buffet cart. Hype trains rule. What's that? You're one of those weird people that hate the fact that we ride hype trains sometimes? Well, chugga, <laughs> chugga, 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 boo-hoo, because fuck off. We're catching oh, right. in. When else are we me. ever going to do a Pokemon Holden Snap says, episode? Don't fuck off. Holden says, you're fine. I get your anger, and we also appreciate your support here at Wizard of the Bruiser. I'm just very proud of chugga, chugga, boo-hoo. I'm not going to lie. Chugga Chugga Boohoo was awesome. <laughs> I was like all aboard the Chugga Chugga Boohoo hype train, and then you told a solid chunk of our listening audience to straight up a, fuck off. And a I was statistically like, significant chunk of our audience, and I, I might regret it. I might regret it a lot now that we're you know just evaluating the statement. But either way, come on aboard the hype train, y'all. I don't even have Pokemon Snap, or at least I didn't before I did this episode, have Pokemon Snap hype personally. That's, I, I, you know, but it, it's, honestly, this is a fascinating story about Nintendo development. We're going to take you on a little journey of, and I think this, this is a weird, interesting example in terms of Nintendo development of them taking a risk, trying something different. It's very fascinating how they are a lot, they are very much so like orderly rule followers in all these ways, but then they keep doing these also batshit crazy things as well. Obviously, look at the Nintendo Wii and all these wild swings like that. And this story is actually no different. It might seem kind of obvious, like doing a Pokemon photography, 
on-rail video game sort of in hindsight. You're like, oh, that makes so much sense. They're all out in the wild. And, you know, to, and at this point with Pokemon Go, with all of the iterations of Pokemon, all the different types of, hell, Pokemon Tournament even. Uh, we've got a fighting game now for Pokemon. I mean, we, we it's, it's a lot more like of the norm to see this kind of thing. But back when Pokemon Snap came out, it was so unique and interesting. And people were, and people had, again, talk about hype trains. People had so much Pokemon hype. And this really, really uh, fed a lot of thirsty Pokemon fans. The thing about Pokemon Snap that is kind of incredible and what makes this the perfect topic for an episode is uh, it was a hit N64 game. It was one of the Few back when Pokemon uh, Mania, back when everyone was just horny for Pokemon, not in the deviant art way, but in the existential way. <laughs> yeah, in the pure horny way, like in the. <laughs> there wasn't that, you know, the hunger was so great, but there was only so much to provide. And so, you know, you played through the RPGs, you uh, watch the anime, and then there was, you know, the card game and. Hey, you Pikachu, which is another and a thing we'll never do an episode about, but it's that nightmare game where you used a microphone and Pikachu wouldn't listen to you because the technology wasn't there yet. But don't worry, Detective Pikachu, we will do an episode about. <sighs> I would love probably to. in 2022. But Pokemon Snap was a runaway hit. It was a great uh, kind of multimedia experience where you take your cartridge to Blockbuster and you got it pr- the sticker sheet printed out. It had uh, cutting edge, you know, it was everything that you wanted in a 3D Pokemon game. And the fact that you were taking photos, uh, kind of, it, people called it baby's first uh, first person shooter because it relied on all this like millisecond timing and dead on accuracy yeah. and like patience to nail the right shot. And those are the, you know, these are the instincts that a Counter-Strike player comes to rely on. Right, right. When you are in the zone, when you are playing Pokemon Snap, you are having a blast. There's, at any given second, you have to keep track of where you are on the track. You have to keep track of all your items. You have to make sure you hit the right Pokemon with the right items in order to get the right reaction. Then you have to line up the camera. It's a super fun game, but it's also super short. It, like, um, the current speedrun record is like 21 minutes, 20 minutes, I believe. So like people were hungry for a new game this entire time since the 90s. People had been begging for a new Pokemon Snap game because it was such a unique experience that really translated well for people who love Pokemon. And for years, the mystery was like, why don't they do it? And researching this episode, we find the answer because, uh, you know, the Pokemon company, Game Freak, Creatures, Inc., the people who actually make Pokemon games, will always get asked about, like, hey, when's the next Pokemon Snap? When's Pokemon Snap coming out? And they have to always, in a very polite yeah. Japanese voice, go like, right. uh, hi, I'm uh, Jinichi Masuda, the producer of uh, Pokemon, and we didn't make that. We don't know <laughs> yes. how to make that. We don't make that. A weird as fuck team put together this ragtag bunch of like amazing game developers. We'll, get, we'll together get into we'll, that. We'll get into that. But but that is all to say that yes, it's completely separate. Which is also funny because it, at the very same time, it is the first time a lot of us are getting to see three D rendered Pokemon making sounds. In a video game, I, uh, you know, I think maybe there was the anime out by this time, so it's not like we hadn't seen them in action outside of the Game Boy, but in a video game, we definitely were not seeing Pokemon like this at this time, because the weird thing about Pokemon is it started and it kind of always has been, you know, Pokemon proper on a Game Boy. For a game so tied to loving Pokemon as animals, as creatures, yeah. the idea of these magical 
beasts running through the fields of this fantasy Japan setting. Uh, the core of Pokemon is watching two of them stand and stare at each other motionless. Yes. Like the core RPG, yes. you've already caught the Pokemon and they just kind of stand around and just like do the little stasis animation as they're waiting for their next order. Mm-hmm. When really what people want is to see like minkies and squirtles running around, uh, you know, magma mortars <laughs> evolving in the wild. You want to see a fucking Magikarp splash its way up a waterfall and emerge a mighty Gyarados. <laughs> like, and these are the things that you were denied, especially in 3D. And Pokemon Snap was one of the only things that gave that to you. And the fact that such a fun title in such an unconventional uh, game mechanic was born from a ragtag team, but a ragtag team helmed by literally the four horsemen of Japanese Nintendo-based game development. So the first clue that this game is unique and that replicating it would be something that might never have happened if it wasn't for the fact that finally Nintendo made enough money with the Switch to actually bother making it, is uh, when you start up the game, the first thing you see is uh, a pair of Pokemon trainer shoes and the logo of a game dev company that you will never see again called Jack Jack and Beans. Or because I've been uh, watching too many TikToks with my beautiful fiance, Jack and Beans. (laughs) Oh, I don't even get that reference. I don't want to know what that reference is. Jack and the Beans. But yeah, and that is actually because the, you know, and we're going to get again more into detail with this, but that's of course because the game they were originally working on was a Jack and the Beanstalk game, which is it, very bizarre. That's that's not, well, that's up for debate. That's sort of, yeah, I guess a, a Jack and the Beanstalk game. We don't really even know that for sure. In fact, a lot of this is shrouded in mystery to the point where one of the most informative videos we saw uh, at the very end, the person pleaded, please ask me, somebody ask me about it. If you get him for an interview, ask him about Jack and Beans and Pokemon Snap because like not enough people ask him about that game. And there's so much left on the table in terms of information about how this group came to be and what this game was before it became a Pokemon game. For a very long time, it was absolutely not a Pokemon game. And actually, Pokemon is essentially what ends up saving it. So yeah, it is just so fascinating how we got here. I mean, I think for me personally, this is interesting because we're just coming off the heels of doing an Oddworld episode where a lot of Oddworld is about like, even though Oddworld has a lot of ridiculous ultraviolence in it, it's a lot of, it's trying to be Mm non-violent. And I think also in Pokemon, I think I was evil is what I'm trying to say as a child. So I think the non Nonviolent aspect of this game, the fact that you're not shooting anything, the fact that you're just taking pictures, there was something I just didn't click with me. I was like, where's all the murder violence? Because I think when this was coming out, I think Mortal Kombat's a huge, and I'm kind of getting angsty and turning into this shitty nightmare person. But uh, so I didn't quite click with it early on, but I will say, Jake, I think it's so true um, what you say about the love for this game. And I especially noticed it once I started do, streaming on Twitch and playing a lot of like video games in a public space where people are talking about video games. And it would come up time and time again, Pokemon Snap, as this game that people just absolutely loved. And I think it was maybe, for me, I think I just was a little too old. I didn't own an N64, and I literally just was a shitty kid that couldn't understand why you would just want to peacefully take pictures of of fun creatures as opposed to like... I don't know, kill them with murder violence. So that was a little hard for me to understand. And now that I look back on it, did the research for this episode, seen the hype, 
I mean, just the sheer hype of this new game coming out. Before this new game was even announced, again, I had heard about a love for Pokemon Snap on kind of a Kingdom Hearts level, I would almost say. This, like, little kind of love that's built over the years for Pokemon Snap that is now... I hope everybody loves this new game because I think now it's finally coming to fruition with new Pokemon Snap coming out on the Switch. Uh, I For this episode, I installed a bunch of N64 emulators trying in vain to get the ROM to work because, uh, ironically enough, part of the reason why this game was such a nightmare to create is uh, getting an N64 game to work was a nightmare for <laughs> game developers during the transition to uh, 2D to 3D. Um, there's a lot of microcode that needs to be run in order to get the most out of that silicon graphics reality coprocessor that Nintendo used. Um, you have to understand that during this switch over from 2D to 3D, uh, the N64, the PlayStation, and the Saturn all used like completely different methodologies to create the polygon graphics, whereas nowadays... Uh, everything from your PC to your PlayStation to your Xbox all use an x86 processor and an uh, AN, a NVIDIA GPU that or an AMD GPU that runs game engines like Unity or Unreal Engine. Like it's all very standardized now. But during that initial transition, it was like having to build a car from like solid rock every single for every single game it was like having to lick a rock until it shaped into the form of a car it was yeah. it was that insane <laughs> um <laughs> and that same difficulty made uh pokemon snap uh really hu- it's very difficult to actually get it to work with uh emulators to the point where i actually hit a dead end because the code wouldn't let me uh take photos and i kind of just hit a wall uh towards the end game in fact the Best way you can play uh, Pokemon Snap via an emulator is to use Dolphin, the like GameCube Wii Wii U emulator, to then run the virtual console within that and play the virtual console version within that emulator is the most stable version that people have come up with. But speaking of that difficulty, this actually works because in 1994 and 1995, uh, Nintendo was launching the N64 and it was getting a lot of weird feedback from its third-party developers. They were saying things like, what the fuck do we do with this thing? How do I, this seems like a lot of work. Also, why did you stick with cartridges? Why the fuck did you stick with cartridges? This is very expensive and difficult. (laughs) Nintendo, who made the hardware, keeps all the secret sauce to how to make good games on this thing to themselves. We won't be able to sell games uh, similarly, and we should just all go to the PlayStation. This is a lot of stuff we talked about in the Mario Kart episode, but... Uh, The N64 coprocessor needed so many specific tools and Nintendo was so um, like scared of its competitors that they actually in their development tools would withhold information and development tools from third party developers. And amongst all this feedback, they were getting kind of nervous. And so this is the team. Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, famous uh, cave behind his house searcher. Uh, create you know Mario Daddy Link Daddy Nintendo icon Satoru Iwata of HAL Laboratories another legendary figure who helped guide uh, the Wii the Nintendo DS uh, worked on the Pokemon games as a programmer legendary figure Shigesato Itoi the writer slash director producer of uh, the Earthbound games and a kind of 
cool, artsy, beatnik game developer guy. Inch and an, it's such an interesting addition to this team. I mean, what if what if fa- I had no idea that this guy was involved. And Koichi Nakamura, who was a uh, producer for uh, Chunsoft, who you now know as Spike Chunsoft, but his claim to fame is he worked with Yuji Hori to create the Dragon Quest series, which, if you're Japanese, is a huge fucking deal. So these are the four horsemen of Nintendo-era game development. These are, like, already gods of game creation. And the idea is that unlike how organized Nintendo's been with its other projects and unlike the pecking order of its other projects, the idea here is that let's just have this like open-ended, think outside of the box game dev team. Let's just see what happens. Let's just have them make a monstrosity, have them make something special, have them make whatever they can come up with, and let's just take away this structure a little bit and let it be this free-form, free-flowing kind of thing. The idea I think they were going for is they saw that PlayStation was getting all these cool new games. Um, And those early years of PlayStation really had some out-there titles. I'm thinking of like the weird mosquito game where you run around in a like in a family's house. There's just the CD format and more um, forgiving licensing agreements meant that like more independent teams, uh, more daring teams were coming out with like really innovative software for the PlayStation. And Nintendo kind of realized they were losing out on that. And so the way they could keep their hardware secrets uh, kind of closed off, but have some of that new fresh energy was to put together this like hot new young team of daring uh, people who were like not part of the old establishment, who were given the freedom and resources to make something truly unique. So this is where the Jack and the Beanstalk ideology comes from. So it's it's maybe even especially here less of a game and more of a concept, a metaphor for let's take all these developers, these brilliant minds, these artists that are buried under the soil Let's like take these guys and like sprout out this like crazy, you know, the idea is that this game would be like this beanstalk sprouting out of the ground and like going all the way up to the moon. So here's uh, so how do you get a hold of all these guys? Where do you find the most passionate uh, people who believe in the future of games? They put out an ad in the back of Famitsu magazine, which is like if uh, EGM, Nintendo Power and every video game magazine put together was kind of just like, it's the video game publication in Japan at the time. And the only way that you could possibly get a bunch of people to get thirsty to join this team, you got to show a picture of a hand holding a bunch of beans, baby. (laughs) It's a stark white background with a hand holding a bunch of dried beans. (laughs) Shigesato Itoi himself wrote the ad copy for it, and I'm working off a Google Translate of this. So so it goes, beans, beans, beans. The more you eat... The more you she. How Google Translate is this? Let me tell you, they made the word beanstalk bean tree. <laughs> All right, but give us the translate. I want to hear the raw translate version. Uh, okay, this is I I understand. I could on the fly try and make it more palatable, but I'm just going to read the straight Google Translate. And this is Shigesato Itoi writing this. Clearly, the man has a way with words and is an eloquent writer. But sorry, <laughs> sorry, Mister Itoi, uh, I don't speak Japanese. Um. Jack's bean tree, which quickly stretched to the heavens, was just a tiny bean grain before it sprouted. (laughs) Talent is also like this Jack's bean grain. It becomes a big tree that looks up when it sprouts and grows, but it has the talent to sleep within its potential. There is also a talent buried in a land that can only be extended a little, 
The world of games is no exception. It's a waste, I think. It's a shame. I wanted to call on Jack's beans, which grow quickly together. There is a land to grow. The job of developing software for Nintendo's monster machine, so-called 64-bit machine, is waiting. Let us help with water and fertilizer. I'll tell you what, they're a magical fruit. And uh, Jake, I'll, I want to just throw some out there. I've got a couple of beans and a tree trunk myself, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Holden, we're, you're, you're among friends. You can just fart all you want on Mike. It's fine. All right. Hold on a second. <laughs> beans. What is the TikTok piece? I can't even ask. I don't even. It's remember. a guy who says beans. Funny. I don't. I don't. I don't approve of it, and I don't appreciate it on the Wizard of the Bruiser podcast, Jake. But just put yourself <laughs> in the mindset of a video game nerd. Yeah. Literally, they are saying, "Hey, do you care about? Are you are you the special one who cares about games the most? Yeah. Opportunity of a lifetime. What if? What if your video game daddy? Uh, was Shigeru Miyamoto, Satoru Iwata, uh, Dragon Quest guy, and Earthbound guy. What if those guys became your video game daddies and helped you achieve the potential to reach heaven? So they get uh, about 600 responses, <laughs> fully, uh, fully written cover letters. They whittle it down to 50 interview candidates. Uh, they have to rent out a hotel conference room. They uh, whittle it down. At one point, Gunpei Yokoi joins the proceedings. But like, this was a huge deal. And, you know, these and but they get it. The Jack and Beanstalk dream team is put together. Hot young talents like um, like uh, I know their names. I'm definitely not looking up. Uh, Yoichi Yamamoto. Yes. A young hotshot who started with uh, in construction design and is has a dream of building 3D worlds. Kawase Shigezo, a uh, designer who uh, had experience with 3D graphics, and he wanted to, uh, you know, kind of push the limits of what can be done in real-time cinematic storytelling with polygonal graphics. Um, Shizuka Higashiyama, um, a guy from Osaka with great expectations who really wanted to invent new bold characters to set the world on fire. Koji Inoguchi, uh, who was... uh, Okay, well, he actually wasn't very excited in his quote. <laughs> well, also, you're forgetting about the wild, the wild card of the bunch, Scumrat Higgins. <laughs> and he was literally just there to intimidate people, just keep people on their toes. He would hide, like, grenades in different parts of the office. They'd have to, like, throw it out the window really quick. Scumrat Higgins just kind of kept everybody uh, hot and ready. I mean, Scumrat Higgins definitely contributed to the final game. Uh, originally, it was his idea for the Pester Ball, which is this little Pokeball filled with, like, a irritant <laughs> gas. Yeah, of course that was his gun wrap. Uh, unf- I mean, special. in his original vision, it was a dirty diaper filled with knives, but the effect was similar. He wanted also, uh, his ide- novel idea was, why don't we actually set the literal cartridge on fire <laughs> in, in retail spaces and sell it in flames and just be like, this fucking game's going to blow your brains out. Don't even try to play it. And that was his whole marketing concept. And they were just like, this is a nonviolent game. Why would you do that, Scumrat Higgins? And then he literally ate a knife. But this wasn't just... Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. 
Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Just a dream team of young thinkers. They were going to be given something that Miyamoto and Iwata truly yearned for. The game environment that they yearn, they wanted their entire lives. One without deadlines and corporate meddling. And you know what? There's not even going to be any bosses. That's right. Nobody's in charge. Everyone's equal. Yeah. It'll be a democratic kind of collegiate style system where people vote on things and natural leaders are, will emerge and people can follow their dreams and it's going to be great. Turns out, <laughs> hold on, I don't know if you knew this. Uh, if nobody is the boss, nothing gets done. Yeah, it's it's very, very difficult very early on. There, There's just so many. In fact... So, all right, I have here, it was announced back in 1995 as Jack and the Beanstalk. One of the early concepts was that one could plant seeds in the game and they would grow in real time um, using, by the way, did we mention the N64 DD? So, I, so this is where a lot of things get confusing yeah. because um, the 64 DD was put in place uh, to kind of make up for a lot of the N64 shortcomings. Yeah. and It's a disk disc drive, just like kind of the Sega CD. It's like an addition to the N64. We've talked about it on here before for other games. It definitely got canceled. Well, it did release technically in Japan for a little while, but essentially was completely canceled. Nothing really came of it. And so the, a lot of game development cycles during this time period got stalled up because they were developing for this new hardware that eventually kind of went bye-bye. Uh, but yeah, so this team is no different. So not only are they ha struggling internally, structurally, just with the way their approach to uh, de a development team designing a game, but then they're also like running into the uh, the brick wall of this hardware that's like eventually just not going to be a thing. But the idea was it has an inter internal clock that you could plant seeds and they would gr grow in real time. But it was very unclear what the game was at this point outside of an experience where one takes photos. That's about it. So the photo isn't even... So literally, uh, August 20th of 1995, Yoichi Yamamoto is just set up in a uh, side office on, I think, in the same Tokyo uh, building that HAL Laboratories is based out of. Um, I might have gotten that wrong. Please don't yell at me. Uh, and there were only four members in the room when he started. There were two desks, two Macs still in the box, one Silicon Graphics workstation. And uh, that was it. Mr. Iwata showed up, didn't give them any instructions. He just said, uh, tell you what, here's uh, 450,000 yen. That's about 4,000 bucks. Uh, and he just says, like, here you go. And they used that to go out and buy a refrigerator for the office. <laughs> like, that is how little 
guidance. And have. I love this quote. I love this quote from Miyamoto because it's very much like he's so brilliant and this is such a brilliant quote, but at the same time, it's the kind of vague nonsense talk that you would hear from like a startup, you know, that's about to fail. Miyamoto said, there's a tendency to try and make the game more and more like a game. You don't have to do that. Just make something that's on a different playing field from everything else. We're going to do something that's never been done before. And I love that quote, but I also, that is the time, I feel like that's the type of thing you would have heard like at the offices of Quibi. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh, it's two months before it vibes. failed. Yeah, yeah. Big Quibi vibes we're dealing with right now. Big swings. Um, and then uh, I love this from uh, Yamamoto, uh, one of the designers. I realized after I started that games are created and then destroyed and then created and then destroyed. So again, a quote that really speaks towards just how challenging and how... Uh, there's just no foundation here for an actual game at this point and kind of won't be until Pokemon comes in, but that we are a ways from that. Designer Kawase Shigezo said that um, what I felt after joining Jack was that nobody in the room was really that familiar with 3D development, betraying my initial expectations. So these first, like, you have to understand the game came out in like 1998, 1999. This is three and a half years that these guys are just in a room with no guidance And most of them just kind of spend the first year just kind of dicking around trying to even wrap their heads around how to make 3D graphics for the Nintendo 64, which, as I tried to explain before, is really difficult and convoluted. And so to give an example of like the kind of struggle they're having, you know, with with the actual uh, creating a game for the hardware, uh, Miyamoto, they know they're working with a photography game. And what they want is that freedom of movement of Mario 64 that they, they have this feeling that you can move anywhere in the world and take these pictures. Miyamoto actually comes to the conclusion that even though that would that would be what this game needs, the team would not be capable of that. And it's that limitation, actually, of just the team's ability to design games for this hardware that puts this game on rails. Uh, they tr- Apparently, they tried to A-B test one version where you could kind of walk around and one where it was kind of more divided into just they handled the movement and you handled taking the photos and that version played better. Um, right, right. And it's kind of interesting because the photo system is if it's something that you would have had to um, that you would come up with if you were learning how to make an N64 game from scratch, because one of the most uh, difficult and time consuming things about creating a 3D game, uh, it's been very street. You know, most of this stuff is now under the hood. It's built into game engines. You don't really have to concern yourself that much. But um Actually, like keeping track of what is in front of something else uh, for it's like to to have the camera kind of visualize because in the computer, in the CPU, it's all just angles and polygons and textures. And the idea that like, no, 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 the, you know, the TV don't display Pikachu when he's behind the rock. Show the rock. The rock is in front. And that uh, kind of breakdown, that categorization, that kind of organization of the objects on screen means that within the game, there is a system of kind of knowing what's on screen, how close to you it is, what position it's in. Um, And so taking that knowledge and actually just kind of, because you're learning this from scratch, going like, well, I finally figured out this convoluted system. What if that was the game? What if the game was just a me successfully showing off why my graphics displayed correctly. 
I love this quote from Miyamoto here. This this uh, just gleeful. Uh, the, the, a, a sense of glee about failing or failing upwards. Uh, Miyamoto said, I wanted the Jack Project to be a complete bomb. I didn't care if it ended up being a dud. I just wanted them to make something that would surprise everyone when it exploded. For me, the bomb was fine. I was happy about the bomb. I said, let's do it as if we're going to close the entire team. Let's just go for it, which I think is so cool. <laughs> A lot of these quotes and a lot of this story yes. is actually taken from Please. Shigesato Itoi's uh, personal blog, which is a very popular website, 1101.com. It's a tried and true. It's an oral history of the game uh, that I've had to read through Google Translate. And the over, like they, they are like tickled pink. This is the crazy thing. Miyamoto is like super jacked about like how much of a clusterfuck this was. Uh, he would like just show up. He would take his uh, partner uh, Tezuka with him, uh, who also helped develop Legend of Zelda and Mario with him. And he'd be like, look, isn't this fucked up? Isn't this great? And Tezuka would be like, ah, I don't know. It seems like a giant waste of money. And he was like, it's great. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Iwata is like very, you know, uh, more contemplative about the experience. He's like kind of, you know, there are lessons to be learned. I feel like I would have done this differently. It's a shame. Miyamoto's like, fuck it, it's sold, right? And if it sells, like if you made money, that heals all wounds. But while uh, in this I interview- I have the actual quote. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are wounds that are healed by selling. <laughs> Miyamoto. <laughs> yeah. So while Iwata and uh, Miyamoto are talking about this, uh, they have the actual people who worked on Jack and Beans at the time, and they are very uh, morose about this. They, you know, they were, you know, they made it through this audition process. They were told they were the special, like, indigo children of gaming, basically. Uh, and they just kind of struggled through it this entire time, directionless, kind of feeling worthless. Um, yeah, you know, realizing that, like, uh, ideas would get shot down that, you know, uh, the even, um, oh, where's the, where's the quote? God, we're doing a really good job keeping track of all of our notes. <laughs> Shizuka Higashiyama uh, was actually super excited because, uh, you know, he moved to Tokyo. He left all of his friends. He was like on his own striking out for the first time and his character designs were going to be made. You know, his character was going to be the main character of a hot new Nintendo game. Not just, you know, the chosen one, the Jack and the Beanstalk project. Like this was super hype. Uh, but this is a quote from him. Um, Even when I was working, I was just thinking, why did you come here? At first, there was a time when my character was chosen as the main player. I was the youngest of Jack and Beans, so I was very happy. The joy was so real that uh, I was shocked when they decided to use Pokemon as the characters instead and decided that the character I drew would not be adopted. Mm. Like, you know, they're playing, you know, these guys were, it's such, it's the disappointment is palpable. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you, Holden, but like, have you ever been put on a doomed project before? Oh, have you ever just yeah. been stuck in a room? Oh, for and sure. The air of like, oh, we fucked up. We're getting this like is, we're not going to pull this out. Well, I mean, one thing that it pops into my head is I forgot how we ended up. My sketch group ended up with um one of those little start kind of startups. They were like real free form. I forgot what they did. I forgot how we got connected to them, and we made this like really bad like rap video commercial for them. And it was so cheesy and bad. And like the whole time I knew that this was like a terrible thing and that essentially they were going to never use it, which they never did, of course. You know that feeling where you're like, I know I'm bad. getting paid to make something that's never actually going to get used because they're totally going to be 
disappointed by this at the end of the day, but like, there's nothing I can do about it at this point because the guy so said, let's make a rap video. So how do you show up and do your video. best when you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's always very but strange. But instead of a single rap video, it was three and a half yeah. years of sitting in a room in Tokyo. But, but it's miraculous the fact that this game, a, a game ended up shipping from this group. So it's like at the end of the day, as, as Miyamoto said, there are wounds that are healed by selling. And that's exactly what happened. Iwata also said this. At some point, I realized I had to take down the flag of Jack's philosophy. I should have said, you listen to this person. I regret that. So yes, they they found that they do need a pecking order. But I, I really admire them ooh, for... Ooh. Can I can I give a, an, an Iwata this. regret quote? Sure. Iwata also says, uh, in other words, it's not all good that the delivery date cannot be pushed from the outside. It's not all good that individuals have a high degree of freedom. Not being managed at all is not all good. Also, uh, and this, of course, the late great uh, president of Nintendo, Iwata, um, you can actually check. I just ordered my copy of Ask Iwata, Words of Wisdom from Satoru Iwata, Nintendo's legendary CEO. And uh, I would definitely recommend this. It's, it's People are really talking a lot about it. And even some of this came from that book, actually, some of our research today. So I'm going to be happy to have this on my bookshelf. But uh, this guy brilliant career and he did those great Awada Asks interviews and this is kind of a compilation of a bunch of that stuff and uh, that forms a sort of makeshift autobiography but um, yeah really really fascinating things going on here and I just love that this stuff is documented as much as it is even though it should be more so because what a fascinating moment in game development and the fact that they were able to actually get a game out is incredible and it's very much so though thanks to 1996 Game Freak releasing Pocket Monsters Red and Green, known in the West as Pokemon Red and Blue. It becomes this sleeper hit. It leads to a manga, anime, and trading card game, all huge successes. This giant success is uh, an absolute contrast to Jack and the Beanstalk development at this point, just completely hitting the depths you know, Scumrat Higgins apparently just straight up <laughs> murdered an old lady in the lobby of their office building. They were just like, get this guy out of here. You know, that was back when he started just dressing up like different other video game characters and terrorizing people. He was just like showing up as Sonic the Hedgehog just to fuck with the hey, rest of the say office. Say what you will about Scumbag Higgins. <laughs> it's Scumrat Higgins. Thank you very scum much. Scumrat Higgins. My mistake. My, my apologies, Mr. Scum. Do not say his name wrong. Now we've opened a curse and now he's coming for us. I mean, it's obviously we're going to get cursed because as we all know, Scumrat Higgins tragically died in a pyramid accident <laughs> when he tried to fuck a mummy. <laughs> Say what you will about Scumrat. The man could program a uh, audio pipeline using limited RAM like the best of them. Yep. But it definitely answered, a, it kind of, it kind of answered the question of what is taking, fo- you know, is this photo system even a game? Because they yeah. at least figured out like, hey, we have a cool picture system. And I think it was Iwata that was like, the answer is Pokemon. That's yes. what people will care to take photos of. Yes, yes. Uh, Miyamoto said, I was working to make the photo-taking aspect more robust, but Iwata stressed that while a game where you take photos was a decent start, what really mattered was what you could photograph. Then, at one point, he told me, Miyamoto, I think it's Pokemon. That's what the people really want to photograph. I thought this was a great idea, and this became the guiding principle for the game. In summary, Iwata contributed the idea that what everybody wanted to photograph was Pokemon, while it was my job to construct an interesting system for taking all these photographs, 
making this one of our closest collaborations. And I mean, how many fo- the, the photo mode is just non-existent at this point, right? No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, Snap is kind of establishing a lot of things that we would later come to uh, see in many games, right? With the with a, fo- a standard photo mode. I mean, Nintendo has full, it's the, honestly, I think it's the fact that on the Switch, games like Animal Crossing and Super Mario Odyssey and uh, Breath of the Wild had such robust photo mode capabilities um, as part of their social sharing, uh, you know, uh, on Wii and Wii U, you could like post to uh, the Me channel and whatever the, oh, I already forgot what the name of the, Metopia, No, uh, whatever, Meverse. You could post on Meverse. Uh, and in a way, uh, Pokemon Snap was a proto version of that because they had the photo printing uh, aspect of the game. I don't know if uh, it was. I, OK, here's an original contribution from the uh, Jack and Beans team. It was Yoichi Yamamoto, uh, one of the directors of the game, who said, uh, until then, even though I chose taking a picture as a play theme, there was a problem that I couldn't clear. I was wondering if photography isn't just about taking pictures. It's about taking pictures and then taking them to taking them to the store and getting prints back for a cycle of fun. Again, Google Translate, I'm sorry, cycle of fun. And the idea was that, you know, if people could get the photos printed, then the, all of a sudden you can share the stickers. You, uh, this was during a time where all, you know, Japanese uh, photo booths with the little sticker printouts and the fun little filters you could use were all the hit in the arcades. It was a very natural extension of like current trends. Uh, and that was the equivalent of posting your screenshot to Twitter within the game was you stuck it to your school notebook or you put it on your locker. Yeah. In Japan, they didn't use Blockbuster because obviously Blockbuster was an American video company. They used the uh, very huge convenience store chain Lawson. And when he brought the idea to Lawson, uh, they said, no, uh, we're happy you brought this idea to <laughs> us. But uh, now is not the time. And so he kept badgering them and kept iterating on the print system. Uh, until finally they got a full reversal on that. I want to hit everybody in the nostalgia gut real quick here with the description of the station. This is from a Wired article. It was a royal blue arcade cabinet trimmed in electric yellow with a matching yellow N64 controller popping out the front. A happy image of Pikachu sprung from the bottom. A Samsung CRT television was connected to an N64 hidden inside. It also contained a small printer. And it had that arcade photo booth look to it a lot a, 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 in a lot of ways too it was it was like a cross between one of those arcade photo booths and the parking kiosk you need to get out at the mall um it's uh those are actually an intact photo printer uh with the special key which came with a like limited edition pokemon snap uh plastic molded keychain mm-hmm. is a huge collector's item for pokemon completionists that's like a real white whale i love this quote from uh nintendo wire publisher jason ganos that really puts it in perspective that was an eye-opening experience to actually take a game from home and convert it into something real the system yeah it was uh you had to go to the front desk pay money for a printer card which had a set amount of credits on it uh the card itself was like a little plastic thing with a picture of Pikachu or Bulbasaur or whatever Pokemon, depending on the value. Um, And you got to keep it afterwards as a fun souvenir. The thing itself, if you didn't have, if you weren't there to print, you could play a demo version of Pokemon Snap and it used this weird like breakout cartridge um, where if it was, if your Pokemon cartridge was plugged in, you would play the game and you, uh, it would, I don't know how it worked technically, but the print option appeared where it wouldn't on a normal N64. 
Uh, and then if the slot was empty, it would switch to the built-in Pokemon Snap cartridge to play the demo. Uh, weirdly enough, the printer was specially made and would not work with standard printer cables. Hmm. It plugged directly into the uh, player four slot in the controller, oh, and that's how it transferred the data. Yeah, that's super so weird. interesting. Also, uh, Blockbuster employees have since come out and said how much of a pain in the ass the machines were. They would break down all the time, and they were really annoying to fix. Whoa, whoa! You're telling me a, a digital printer was really finicky <laughs> and annoying? At a, yeah, in a retail space that kids are using all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. at the I mean, at least you didn't have to exclusively use uh, sticker paper and ink directly right. from Nintendo. Oh, you did. You actually had to wait around for Nintendo. To uh, Oh, I, I feel like we should also mention really quick, like, obviously, they jumped ship from the 64 DD as well. It was never released on that. Uh, and yeah, it comes out in 1999 in Japan and North America with these machines and stuff. But yeah, they definitely had to also change course. So that's a lot of course change from 64 DD uh, into Pokemon. It ends up being a top seller and the most rented game during its time. So that's a lot to say for Blockbuster's sake, too, that it's the most rented game. Uh, Scumrat Higgins says, look... <laughs> I've opened up more men than you could fit in a small movie theater, but I never thought I'd see this game sell well. Fuck. I, I, honestly, I refer to this game while we were working at it as a fuck shit. That's what I call something that's got no chance. You know, Scumrat Higgins wouldn't even have gotten on the Jack and Beans team if he didn't personally defeat Gunpei Yokoi, Shigeru Miyamoto, and Satoru Iwata in a four-way arm wrestling <laughs> yes, tournament. Yes, absolutely. He used to call his own dev company Jack and Piss. He was such a bastard. No one liked him. Once they settled on the Pokemon theme and once they figured out the photo uh, taking, judging and printing mechanics, the game kind of came together very quickly. They had extra help from people at HAL Laboratories who are a legendary team, worked on Kirby, worked on a million other things, uh, as well as Pax Softonica, which was a third party uh, kind of they handled more programming kind of deal. But the game was released. It sold millions of copies. And the Jack and Beans project was shut down. Yeah, and so that's why I feel like we get to this point where people go, what the fuck? So many kids loved this Pokemon Snap game. It is re-released for the Wii uh, uh, as a virtual console game in 2007. Of course, you can't go to a Blockbuster at that point and print out stickers, but you could upload photos to the Wii message board and share them with friends. They got a Wii U release for Japan and the US as well in 2017. So obviously, there's a demand. And so uh, all this love, this decades-old N64 game, there's so many people are so hyped for it to, to come back. Why Why the hype? And I think I think so much of it is it's that first time seeing these Pokemon come to life as kids in like a real way, especially in a, in a video game. I cannot stress enough that when you are hanging out, when you are playing the game, you are, this is in fact a original way of seeing Pokemon. They're interacting mm -hmm. with each other. They're like kind of, they're, they're out in the wild in the way you've only imagined them being uh, in a way that they do not exist in any. Addiction plays hardball he would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. 
Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canvas AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Their game. And for people that maybe aren't into JRPGs, maybe you right. don't give a shit that, like, fairy beats goblin beats ghost but psychic yeah. beats ghost in red and blue but in then they change it like maybe you don't care about that maybe you don't care about like everything else but you love these characters tons of people love pokemon but don't actually care for the jrpg mechanics and that's a huge chunk of pokemon fandom i will say nobody gives a shit about the main character todd snap todd snap is a <laughs> bitch todd snap is a uh nothing person he is awful I watched the original episode of the anime where they introduce him and he is just a nothing burger. He's just like, I like pictures. And he's just kind of annoying. Um, Team Rocket dresses up like an uh, old man and an old woman and they trick him immediately like a chump. Todd Snap sucks. Also, <laughs> his name is Todd in the anime and they had to add the snap after the game came out because nobody thought Todd was going to be the protagonist of a game. It was just someone at Nintendo was like, Fuck, we're making a Pokemon photography game when we had we already made a fucking photographer guy. I, I checked the timing. Like it's they did not create the character for to like create the game. Like it the character was there and they just used him for the game as in the last minute. In fact, the character's name in Japanese is Toru, which uh is the Japanese word for like taking, which is you know, you take a photograph. Uh snap they added after the fact just to like have the barest connection to the games. Oh, I hate him. There was oh, also dumb mop of hair. I will say though, too, the extra added layer that I think makes this game so dynamic and interesting for people and replayable for people is that puzzle layer. The puzzler part mm -hmm. where you're Absolutely. throwing these different types of balls and things at these Pokemon to get them to react in certain ways so you can get those special shots. And so it's really it's like that it's not just a photo non-violent photography game. It's not just that it's photography of Pokemon for the first time we're seeing them really come to life in a way we hadn't before. But it's also and it's not just yeah, the rail shooter kind of thing. It is the puzzle element that, that brings the whole thing into this really interesting super replayable fun place for I think a lot of younger people and so everybody kind of kind of stuck in the back of their head all this time all these years when you're playing this game it's kind of like trying to navigate the world of mist by chucking rocks at things as you're uh -huh. like being dragged along on a minecart. yeah because if you miss one item throw you're not going to get the big special thing you know uh, Articuno Zapdos and Moltres all are like in eggs and you have to do all these convoluted things to wake them up you got to like throw an apple and play the poke flute and do all these things at the same time. You can do all these crazy things to like, uh, there's all these Pikachus running around that all have these special unlockable animations uh, in the cave. You can like free him from a Zubat and he like bursts down and floats with a whole thing of balloons. Like he was in up, he goes surfing. There's a, he rolls around on an electrode. There's so many weird little secrets, even though the game is very short, there's only a few levels it's actually kind of that's it's it's it is short, but it's that replaying. It's 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 the repetition too. I think that is another thing that brings especially younger people 
into, you know, it sticks in the back of your head as you grow older as this nostalgia thing because you were forced to play these levels over and over and over again. Not just to, not just because things would unlock as you progress through the game. So you'd have to go back. And now that you have to unlock this one thing, you can like go a different route or see it, you know, conjure a different Pokemon you hadn't seen before in that level. But also it's just the short amount of levels and everything else as well just forces you, it really just burns this stuff into your brain, especially because it's on rails. So, you you know you're really see, you're kind of experiencing the same thing over and over again ad nauseum uh, and uh, I think again that adds to this nostalgia factor for a lot of people because it really still is miraculous I think that we got a new snap game which we'll get to in just a second. There is a decade of Pokemon Snap speedrunning uh, that has been like constantly iterated on just as vibrant as well not as vibrant as Mario sixty four Mario sixty four is a nightmare zone of weird hacks and workarounds. <laughs> But uh, there's stuff like manky sniping, where if you like toss a pester ball, like from, you know, basically no, no look air ball or jump shot from over a mountain, you can do a skip. It's uh, people have figured out that the best way to play is on the Japanese N64 card. Um, they do uh, they work around lag by knowing where to point the camera to minimize the amount of polygons on screen to keep the game moving as smoothly as possible. Uh, there's so many weird little workarounds and extra bits to get through the game as quickly as possible. And the crazy thing is, is that while 20 minutes and 32 seconds is the record for any percent to get 250,000 points, which means you got every Pokemon, you got like the best shots possible of them doing their crazy things. It's only 26 minutes, 43 seconds to get a crazy high score in the game. So people have like refined this like built-in clockwork Pokemon world down to millisecond timing and can like navigate it like a fucking ninja, which is crazy to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So everybody goes their separate ways. You know, Miyamoto uh, uh, goes on to, you know, obviously do all the stuff with the Wii and everything like that. All this, all these other swings in interesting directions. Of course, Scumrad Higgins goes to be the head developer of Duke Nukem Forever. And, um, <laughs> Of course, uh, you know, Bubsy 3D and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, a couple, a number of different. I greatly welcome the addition of Scumrat Higgins to the Whiz Brewiverse. Sonic 2006 and uh, most recently he did all of the WWE games. Uh, but uh, it was amazing. I mean, how excited were you when you found out Scumrat Higgins was brought on to make sure that uh, Cyberpunk 2077 got out? Oh, of course. It's just amazing. I mean, uh, unfortunately, he can no longer go. He to demanded to have sole propriety over the PS4 port. Right. He was like, yeah, this, he is like, my this baby. Is, he called it my baby. He referred to it. This is my bitch is what he said. He said <laughs> PS4 port of Cyberpunk is my motherfucking bitch. And uh, unfortunately, though, you can't see him at ETH threes anymore he was of course banned after he did a uh, line of cocaine off of a copy of sonic 2006 uh which is very unfortunate for everybody he involved. also body slammed three separate lara croft cosplayers <laughs> all of them under 18 years old too by the way it was very unfortunate for him um yeah he's just fucking terrible man hate him as an addition to the video game industry get him out of here um i think i believe right now he's working on a sequel to daikatana so uh, we'll see that come out. He said he wants to make it somehow, quote, somehow grainier is what he's trying to do with the new 
Tiger Todd is so cut to 2015. Scott Wright Higgins is out of the fucking picture for the rest of this episode uh, okay, in terms of okay. directly being involved in the game. He, he, we could, of course, bring him back up for comedy relief, but he's no longer <laughs> involved in the making of any of this other stuff. You tried to like be like, I'm not going to rely on this crutch. And then you're like, oh, but it's a well, good no, crutch. We'll bring him up. But I'm just saying, he never, you know, he he's ousted from the Pokemon Snap uh, legacy at this point mm. in our timeline. And, and uh, another unusual Pokemon game happens, a fighting game developed by Bandai Namco. It incorporates gameplay elements from titles like Tekken and Soul Calibur. The director of this game is Haruki Suzaki, who also worked on Soul Calibur 4, 5, and 6, as well as Tekken 6, which is fantastic. And that game, of course, is Pokken Tournament, which was such a weird drop. I think nobody really expected it, but uh, it totally makes sense in hindsight. But again, like we applied Pokemon to like this photography sim or whatever you want to call it, it's such a weird genre of game, what Pokemon Snap is. Now we apply it to 3D fighting games, and this game is released in Japan in 2015 and on the Wii U in 2016 and does quite well for itself, surprisingly enough. I think to some people, they were able to take these beloved characters and incorporate them into a different genre in such a nice, unique, fun way. And so Nintendo brings Suzaki and team in to do Snap, to do a full-on uh, new version uh, of Pokemon Snap, a, a sequel or what have you, and got to collaborate actually with the developers of the original game, uh, some of them at least, which is nice. Uh, Haruki Suzaki said, when I started on this project, I had heard there had been a couple of attempts at making a new Pokemon Snap before. The idea of photography has changed so much in the last 20 years, combined with the new Pokemon Switch hardware, that we thought it was the perfect time to create a new version of Pokemon Snap, and that's why we started the project. Of course, They've done so much with like gyroscoping on their controllers and devices. They have, you know, they've really gotten so much more honed in on how to do, I think, a lot of the technological aspects. It's definitely photography modes since mm -hmm. the original Pokemon Snap. That has improved greatly. So, yes, the uh, new, new Pokemon Snap uh, the, was announced during the Pokemon Presents presentation in June of 2020 to be released for the Nintendo Switch, which was later announced to be coming out on April 30th, which is, at the time of this recording, tomorrow. But don't worry, kiddies. Don't worry, all you gumshoes out there. I would definitely um, was able to see a full playthrough of it already on YouTube, somebody posted. <laughs> Apparently, the playthrough is... I want to say um, something like six hours long, but I think that was also maybe a very efficient playthrough. But uh, yes, it seems fantastic. The game will feature 200 different Pokemon and take place in a new region called the Lintel region. Uh, Suzaki said, we wanted to create a world in which you can imagine how wild Pokemon actually live within their ecosystem. So we first considered the environment in which each uh, Pokemon lives as well as the interesting terrain and climate that you would investigate. Then the selection was made based on how they would live together in their respective environments and the relationship between them, which I think is a lot of fun as a sort of eco, like thinking about it in terms of ecology and in terms of the, the you know making this world come to life. Like let's let's really let's really base this in. It was like an environment first, and then let's see what would live and thrive in that environment and what would relate to what in that environment, which I think is really cool. Um, Jake, it's kind of ironic that Jack and the Beanstalk was this project that was about unfettered freedom, about like the daring new voices given you know, cut off the leash to to figure out the dizzying heights of what games were possible with. 
And in the end, they had to make a licensed tie-in spinoff game. And that the people chosen to create the sequel for it is one of the most prolific tie-in game companies of all time. Bandai Namco has created so many cash-in games, um, but they are experienced with the hardware. The hardware itself is much more well-documented and explored. It's a, you know, Tegra, uh, you know, they're working with NVIDIA architecture. Like, it's not as a clusterfuck to create this game now than it was back then. Uh, And, you know, these are people that are happy to be working on Pokemon. Um, Back at Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, Kazuki Sekimori, one of the programmers, uh, this was the first time I made a game with such well-known characters. In a sense, Pokemon already had its own worldview, so there was no room for you to modify it. To modify it, uh, I realized that it was a tough world to work in. It's not boring or anything, but there were things that we couldn't do once it was decided that we were making a Pokemon game. So, like, these were, you know, it's the loftiest dreams brought low, and yet the result is still so fun and compelling, which I think is very, you know, a very whiz-brew kind of story. Oh, for sure, for sure. And this game just looks like a lot of fun. They added some nice things. There's an EXP system, essentially. Your research level goes up, and then that will, uh, as your level increases, new Pokemon will appear in each level. Um, There's also a new system that, in terms of getting a variety of pictures, there's a star system, so like, um, but it's less of a rating and more of like, this is the type of picture you got. So one star might be a walking Pokemon. Two stars would be that same Pokemon eating. Three stars is that Pokemon playing. Four stars is that Pokemon dancing with friends. And I think as the stars go up, it's more rare what their action is. And uh, so you need four different photos to create a complete photo uh, photo decks, which is very like interesting. Adds a new level of variety to the game. Uh, there is a uh, nighttime phase as well. So you can go get, go back out at night and get nocturnal Pokemon. Just adding more layers, adding more variety, I think, to give you a much more interesting, fun experience with the game. Um, one thing they did remove, though, was that pester ball. Take that, Scumrat Higgins. Suzaki <laughs> said there is no pester ball. One of the reasons is that the ball can be perceived as something a little less kind in current times. The other reason, of course, is we all fucking hate Scumrat Higgins. I mean, even without the pester ball, I remember, I just this afternoon, I knocked a Charmander into an open pool of lava <laughs> by chucking an apple at its head. <laughs> So, you know, it's well, or it was a Charmillion, I believe. The pester ball was replaced with a fluff root, which sort of does the same thing, but it doesn't yeah. hurt the mons, mon. Suzaki said, even though fluff fruit doesn't hurt when it hits a Pokemon, it makes sense that some Pokemon don't like being hit by fluff fruit. So we designed the item to leave it up to players, whether they place it near a Pokemon or throw it at a Pokemon. So there you go. You have a little bit of a opportunity there to not just fuck a Pokemon shit up just because you're trying to get a good click of it. Okay. All right. That's how Princess Die fucking got it. Okay. So Wow. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's super. It's I'm very excited to start playing the game basically as soon as we're done recording. Uh, I have a newfound appreciation for Pokemon Snap, having gone through it uh, this week. It really is just a unicorn of a game yeah. that should not have existed. And the fact is it took this long because the company that made it was a weird mistake weird ass abomination that it is absolutely miraculous that pokemon snap not just released but then actually was good and people liked it shigeru miyamoto has you know it's 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 a story where like a lot of these games are you know would happen if shigeru miyamoto cared about it but like 
it was just a weird like kind of side branch on what he was working on at the time. You know, this is the same time he's working on Legend of Zelda, yeah. Ocarina of Time, and Mario 64, and, and fact, all these other things. probably when people bring the game up, he only has memories of like shitty times. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just showing up to a weird office full of depressed yeah. people and being like, ah, oh, this is fucking rules. This is so weird. I can't believe they let us do this. <laughs> yeah, why are we even doing this? Why are we even here? It's very, yeah, you're right. And it's the people at Pokemon responsible for get, making it happen all, were They're like, like this, this wasn't game. our game. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And uh, also, Awada passed away in 2015, as you may know. Um, and in his autobiography that I mentioned before, Ask Awada, Words of Wisdom from Satoru Iwata. Uh, in it, he claims that Snap actually was one of his closest collaborations with Miyamoto. Uh, Miyamoto has also since said, what makes me sad is that if I have a crazy idea over the weekend, there isn't anybody I can tell about it on Monday morning. When I'm eating lunch, he isn't there to say, I think I figured out your problem, which leaves me stuck sometimes. I really miss him. And uh, I think that that's a beautiful sentiment when it comes to this story especially this this crazy you know because it is just a story of crazy ideas and literally just people in a corporation having each other's back creatively to get a product out the door that everyone can be proud of no matter what it takes and also I love stories about failing upward and I really think that that's <laughs> kind of what this whole thing is about um, I, uh, yeah, just kind of love hearing tales like this where it's like how, like a, when it's just absolutely insane that they were even able to accomplish a product in this scenario, but also that they had the balls in the first place to put a team like this together and try something like this is really fun. I love, uh, Miyamoto's gleeful exclamation. Like I was happy with the bomb. I wanted this <laughs> to be a bomb. I wanted it to explode. And I wish that that there was more of that energy in games today. I feel like we, we, as we watch this slowly slip away, especially in the AAA space, uh, it's important to remember what can come out of taking big risks and failing uh, a lot, for sure. Um, I do have one final quote from Scumrat Higgins, uh, and here it is. Uh, before, Wait, before I, yeah, do you have, have something you want to say before? Uh... I have a quote from uh, one of the you know overseers of the project, Shigesato Itoi, uh, Earthbound guy, mother one two three, uh, video games coolest Japanese beatnik. This is what his res- uh, kind of takeaway from the whole fiasco. The joy of solving things is not a human drive, but it's still the most enjoyable thing. In other words, it's the joy of hitting a target with an arrow, or the joy of sneaking a girl into your room and taking off her underwear. Oh, we're doing this It's quote. the joy of getting what you want to eat, and then once you taste it, you can't get rid of it anymore. Wait a minute. Was he scumbag all the scumrat <laughs> oh all along? God. Was the creator of, of Earthbound secretly a legendary ego? video game? I just love the idea of that guy showing up in a weird, like, buzz cut wig every other day and being like this <laughs> other dude. He's like, you guys are think outside the box. Now I'm scumragging Higgins every other day. Well, here's my final quote from Scumrat. I'll fucking kill Mario. I'll kill Sonic. <laughs> I'll kill anything that lives or breathes. I don't give a shit. What's your mom's address? I want her address right fucking now. Why? I don't know. I just want to hang out with her. I'm not going to kill her. I promise. I'll never fucking do that. All right. Maybe I will gut her like a fish. I'll, I've killed Crash Bandicoot and I'll kill fucking... I'll kill... Finish it. I'll kill Charizard. I hate Pokemon. Pokemon, you suck, suck, suck. 
big all caps suck with three underlines underneath it. I guess he's underlining his own quotes. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Anyways, Scumrat Higgins signing off. Fuck yourselves. And uh, yeah, I guess that was the best way I could have possibly sum this whole thing up. Like, you know, I'll, I'll kill Mario. I'll kill Sonic too. I'll, you know what I mean? And I think we all should think about in the future if we're trying to be i don't care what you're doing if you're trying to you know build a bridge or make a great video game or write it write a uh, excellent fantasy novel if you're not willing to kill anything that lives or breathes what are you even doing man this was this was a i did not think this is how we were going to end a pokemon <laughs> snap episode and yet here and we yet are here we are it really was an episode of surprises jake and uh, i am thrilled by it do you have anything else to say i mean i just i i love it i, I love the this type of this type of story i mean who knew i i really did i i went into this with bated breath being like how you know are we going to be able to get a full episode out of this is there going to be an interesting enough tale here and I think if you pick any game that is just really out outside of any normal boundary of what was popular at the time, especially much less since, because we haven't had a lot of games like this since either. It's not like it's not like Mario Kart where like it inspired the kart racer genre. You know what I mean? Once in a while, people try and do the photograph like but like Pokemon Snap homage and without the Pokemon license, without that emotional investment of wanting to see these creatures in their own environment. It really does. Something is lost in translation. That being said, I was shocked at how engaging the game is to this day. Yeah, I was so many, especially N64 games do not age well. And it's one of those few legendary ones like uh, Mario 64, Ocarina of Time that like yeah. really stand up. Um, it's I was floored by how much fun I was having. I wonder, too, if we really would have a Pokemon Go today without Pokemon Snap. I think that it really informed a lot of future Pokemon pro- projects as well. And mm-hmm. uh, it shows. Um, so anyways, all hail to the Pokemon Snap. And Scumrap, please do not hit me up. Uh, I hope we did you justice today. I tried to give enough quotes to you so you would not hunt me like a dog in the street. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We have been a podcast. What? Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to support us further, uh, check us out at patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. That's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do uh, weekly bonus episodes for just $5 a month. $15 a month. You can join us every Sunday for a Sunday study session where we uh, hang out and cover whatever topic uh, that we plan to be researching that week to record for an episode. And it's always a blast. And that study group slowly growing and continues to be full of cool, fun people. So uh, thank you so much also to the patrons we have continued to have. Uh, you guys are the best. Uh, check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Ho. Twitch.tv forward slash Ho. Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. Uh, Jake? I wasn't going to do this this week, but uh, every time I do it, uh, we get an uptick in patrons. So <laughs> let me just really press that flush. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew is how you support this podcast. It helps keep us alive. It makes the podcast possible. And uh, it's especially amazing having people come in on the Sunday study group. Give it a shot. You'll definitely have a fun time. Imagine a version of the podcast where like you can yell back at us sometimes. It's, it's incredible. Uh, it genuinely just keeps the boat afloat it keeps food on the table it's so necessary and we appreciate everyone who takes part in it follow me on twitter at best jake young and uh you'll read all my thoughts and plops and i'll share uh bits of research and uh fun little nuggets that i come across in the coming weeks before the episode comes out and hey 
always remember, never stop bruising and keep on whizzing. Beans. All right, please. Beans. Take it from me, Snowbrat. I'm <laughs> coming for you. <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.